Well, thank you so much, uh, Father Kevin and Karen, for Pastor Karen, for letting me be here with you again. It's so awesome to be here. I am from Tennessee, so if you can't understand my southern accent, maybe there's another southerner in the room that can interpret for you. <laughs> if I say by golly or something like that, you know, just raise your hand if you need interpretation. Um, I also grew up Pentecostal, so I can interpret things too. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, don't get me distracted, but, the, but I'm, I'm going to chase a rabbit right here. The first time I preached a sermon ever, I was 16, and my pastor let me preach on a Sunday night, and I got about three minutes in, and I said something the pastor liked, and he stood up and was going to, but it, he stood up. I thought he was standing up to take the microphone from me, that I had said something wrong, but he was standing up to, you know, amen me and shout me down, so it was this funny interaction where I just... I just was going to hand the microphone over. <laughs> no, keep preaching, son. Uh, uh, well, anyway, on that note, it is uh, so good to be with you. Um, and, and really, my main purpose to be here is to say thank you. Uh, at ARDF, we were looking over a list of some of our you know, major partner churches, and, and your church has been so kind to us over the years. So I sent an email out. It was about 12 churches. I sent an email to the, to the leadership and said, hey, I, I just want to come say thank you to your congregation. And, and uh, Kevin and Karen were the first ones to respond of everybody immediately and said, perfect timing. We're going to be on vacation. You can preach. So uh, our first Sunday back, you can be in the pulpit. So thank you for letting me come. And I just thank you, church. You're a very generous church. And uh, if you don't know, I want to talk a little bit about ARDF and also preach a homily. And I'm going to do this all in less than 20 minutes. So, okay. Amen. In less than 50 minutes. <laughs> um, so, but I want to explain, so you know, you know, every time you give in the offering, uh, you, you are ultimately helping not only ARDF, but this global family that Kevin talked about that is also, that is also so inspiring to me. Um, and I've been the executive director for about three years uh, for, for this organization. And just to, it, it's a huge world, 85 million Anglicans in the world, but it's also a kind of a small world. Uh, and so a lot of times I'm bumping into partners and people who've worked in different parts of the world. And we have mutual friends and bishops and priests. And uh, it's just a fun thing to get to be a part of this Anglican family um, so my, my wife's name, this is my wife's, like, she calls it her Super Bowl season because her name is actually America, like America without the A, like hashtag America. Um, so this year, this part of the time of the year, people always will send her pictures of shirts that say America and hats and uh, all that. And we've been married for 25 years. So uh, I have three boys. Uh, my oldest is 20 now. She blows my mind. My middle son is actually here with me this May. <laughs> He's going to get be mad at me later. Uh, uh, and then my, I have a youngest son at home. So this May is going to be a junior. My youngest son's going to be a sophomore. And then I have a 20-year-old who's uh, college-aged. Um, so three boys. We've survived. Well, we've almost survived getting them, uh, getting them out. They're, they're great boys. Um, all right. So the Anglican Relief and Development Fund. That is a big, long name. And the easiest way for me to describe this, and I think I did this last time I was here, so forgive me for being repetitive, but is by the acronym. So the, the A is, we are Anglican. We're an Anglican entity. We're not funded by our province at all. 
but, and we're a separate 501c3, but we're, we were created by the founding archbishop of the ACNA uh, to do two things, and that will be the second two letters of our name. The first one is the R, the Anglican Relief. Uh, so we fund disaster relief. And internationally, all that means is that we, we send funds and try to send it to Anglican churches. Uh, sometimes a disaster happens where there's no Anglicans present and we'll send to other partners. Uh, but when I took this job, I was so shocked at how many disasters are happening all over the world every day. So every week we receive requests for funding for things that none of us would know about because it's not in our news. You know, mudslides and flooding and famine. And um, so we, we tried to raise money for relief and send it to help with all of those things as we can and when the requests come in on the relief side. We also, uh, two years ago, launched our Domestic Disaster Response Network. Uh, and this has been one of the most exciting things about ARDF lately. So when people say, what am I most excited about? There's a couple, this is one of them. Uh, in the past, we would also only send money for a domestic disaster. So we would find a church that had been impacted and send money to that Anglican church. But when I took this job, I started calling previous partners and saying, how can we be better? And um, every partner I called said, your money was great, but I didn't even know where to start. I didn't know what FEMA was going to do and what Red Cross was going to do and what I should do. And, and uh, I didn't have the manpower or the woman power in the church to respond. Um, so we put our heads together and we've launched a, a national domestic response network. And we are really hoping for one domestic response person at least uh, in every congregation. So if that's you... Uh, all that means, it's really simple, is that you would raise your hand, I mean, not literally raise your hand, uh, in your heart, <laughs> that you would say, I'll be the person here in this church that if a domestic disaster happens, I will be the one that will be on the, the email and phone call list to know what ARDF's doing, and I will let my church be aware of that. That's the, the baseline entry. So if you're interested at all in domestic response, um, and then if a disaster happens and, and we're sending folks to, we have a team going to Kentucky next week to help rebuild homes from the tornadoes that were two years ago. Um, so we, we also are pushing that information out to the local representatives so you can make your church aware of different opportunities that people could actually mobilize uh, and serve here in America in different parts that have been impacted by disaster. So that's the R. So that's the first reason we were created by the Anglican Church of North America is to help with disaster response. The second reason we were created is the D, which is development. And so the way that we work, I'm really proud of. Uh, I didn't create any of this, so I can brag about it and, and not have any problem with it. But we do international development projects on behalf of our province. And the way that that happens is we have three core values. The first one is that every project is approved by our global council. So we have an international global council. It's made up of nine international archbishops. And the idea is that we don't go as the arrogant Westerners telling the global church what they need. They actually tell us what they need and approve projects, and then we are there to serve them. So that's our first core value when we do international development projects. And the way that works is we receive applications all throughout the year. So from January to March 31st of this year, we received 71 project applications, which is awesome. But we're, we're, we're going to send about 12 of them to our global council in October. 
um, is where I think, and that the reason is because we, we've got to scale. We've got to raise more money so that we can do more projects in the world. And if you want to be involved in that, I welcome you to be involved uh, in helping us get there. Uh, so out of that 71, about 12 to 15 will be put before our global council, and then they will let us know if they approve those projects uh, that would go forward, and that, that meeting will happen in October. And this is every year. So right now we're working on projects in Nepal. I'm going to talk about that one in a minute. We're working on a project, uh, well, really all of, a lot of projects in Kenya and Uganda and Rwanda, East Africa area and Southeast Asia. And they're all over them, anything from agriculture to healthcare to building a school building. Um, I'm going to talk about a lot of that later. So I won't do that now. But um, uh, that's what we do every year. So the first core value is it's approved by Global Council. Second core value is that all of the labor, as much as possible, all of the labor is implemented by local leaders. So it's usually out of an Anglican church, and everything from the brick masons to the architect are all local leaders. We, we don't send people to do the construction, uh, and the reason is because we want to keep those jobs local and provide employment to the congregation. And to the Now, there are times when they ask us for help, and we will absolutely help and intervene when they don't have the expertise or they don't have the manpower to do it. We will respond and go do it. But as much as possible, we rely on local leaders. And the third core value is that every project is researched by a third party research entity. So we have a, a company called The Grid. So every project we have, they will, once it's approved by the Global Council, they take the project and separate from us, help monitor, evaluate, establish an MOU, make sure the money's being spent the way it's supposed to. And at the end of it, if you've made a donation to that project, you're going to get a report. I can't control it or manipulate it, and it's going to tell you your project was successful or your project failed or your project missed the mark, uh, just to provide transparency. So there's so much uh, skepticism when it comes to nonprofit giving these days. Unfortunately, we're trying our best to eliminate that and be a transparent organization. So I'm really proud of how we do our international development projects. And then the last letter is F. We are a fund. We're fundraisers. And um, the, the cheesy cliche thing that I say every time, and I've got to stop saying this, is that I'm more into friend raising than fundraising. And I know, I know, that's like a shtick, uh, but it's true. Like, I, the, the more I can know our people in our churches, that's why I love coming to know your church. Uh, I don't like just seeing a donation come in from your church. I like to see the names and know you all. So it's such an honor to be here today. So that's ARDF. That's what we do. And that's my family. And now I want to jump into the homily. Um, but first, I'll, let, me, let me pray. So if you will pray with me. Oh, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So our gospel passage today was long. You did a great job uh, reading through that long gospel passage. And there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of things happening. And, and the easiest way for me, you can tell with the ARDF, I have to like break things down to really simple. And, and so there, there's kind of chunks of this passage and the first one was in the first part of Matthew 9, or the last part of Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And Jesus is about the business. He's teaching, he's healing, he's bringing hope, he's bringing restoration. And as Jesus is doing this, he realizes, wow, I mean, he already knew it. But he, he starts telling his disciples, look at the harvest field. 
Like, look at all of these needs. Everywhere Jesus turns, there's need. There's somebody who needs hope. There's somebody who needs healing. There's somebody who needs uh, demons cast out. There's somebody who needs restoration. And he says the harvest is plentiful. The, the need is not the problem. It's the workers that are few. And so in this specific context, Jesus is challenging his disciples. Open your eyes. Like see what the world is. is see the, the plentiful harvest and how you can contribute. So that's the, the first part. And Jesus is, is needing more people to be about kingdom business. And then the next section is 10, Matthew 10, 1 through 15. And Jesus begins to delegate his authority. So he sends out the 12 disciples with marching orders. Go to the lost. Proclaim the kingdom. Bring justice by doing the same things Jesus was doing. Healing the sick. Going to those who are unclean. Even the lepers, the outcasts, drive out demons. Give of yourself freely. Keep it simple. Work hard. Don't depend on handouts. Know that there will be some places that are easy and you'll be received. And give blessing to those places and follow that peace. But there's going to be other places that are difficult and hard and you're not going to be received. Just keep moving and let God be the one to guide you through these places. Then in Matthew 10, 16 through 20, Jesus gives them some advice. And I think it's great advice. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And he tells them they'll certainly be persecuted, beaten, accused falsely. They'll be like sheep in the midst of wolves. And the only way to survive that culture is to somehow cultivate this spirit of being both shrewd on one hand and innocent on the other. Cunning on one side and gentle on the other. Wise on one side and simple on the other. So in review, Jesus sees this massive need for his ministry he can't keep up. He sees the harvest is plentiful. He needs others to join in. Right? Still to this day, others have to join in on this. And that's one of the most, I come back from everyone, every time I visit a partner, I come home so motivated because the needs are so massive. We all can help in some way. So he calls his disciples to pick up the work, tells them it's not going to be easy. Then he gives them the key to navigating the culture to somehow maintain a balance between shrewdness and innocence. And I want to follow that same outline briefly today. So first, let me assure you that nothing has changed. The needs of the world are very much plentiful. Yes, we're making great progress. So first thing I want to say is don't believe some of the things that are out there that the world's just getting worse and worse and worse. It's actually not. Most statistics are proving that globally, almost every category is improving. So poverty, uh, health, uh, life expectancy, in most cases, except for a few countries, those things are actually improving. So the, there are some things going well in the world, but there's a desperate need for Christians to show up in every area of the world. In your family, in this church, in your sphere of influence, in Burundi, where I just came from, literally everywhere you look, the harvest is plentiful. It's just having the eyes to see. And you don't have to leave your own household usually to find where there's need. So that has not changed. Jesus is still calling us to get outside of ourselves and see the need and go to the world, even if it's across the dinner table from us. 
Second, just like Jesus did, I want to call you today as disciples of Christ to join in with what he's already doing and into his community. Understand that the world needs what you have to offer. And you might be sitting there thinking, Jake, I have nothing to offer. And trust me, I promise you that is not true. There is something that you have to offer. Prayers, hope, peace. Something that you have to offer to the kingdom and God's called you to. In your sphere of influence, it's the things that you maybe already love doing. So look around. Ask God to open your eyes and see where the harvest is that you can join in with what he's doing. And then third, I want to challenge you to somehow cultivate this awesome balance of shrewdness and innocence. A, a snake on one hand and, and a dove on the other and that's where I want to camp out for just a minute. So in the Eastern culture of Jesus' day, that the snake, as you know from Genesis, was a shrewd and cunning animal. But if you read other literature, even outside of the Bible, during the time Jesus wrote, the snake was often used as a symbol, a symbol of a, an animal that had to resort to, they're not huge, right? They're not powerful, so the snake, in order to survive, has to resort to being sneaky, stealth-like, blending into its surroundings, wise. It has to move quietly. These are all like part of being shrewd. The word that kept coming up in all the commentaries I read was full of guile. Like shrewd, cunning, sneaky, blending in, um, Sneaking up right behind people, <laughs> like that's, that's the, the way that the snake operates. So in this culture, it was oftentimes the snake was used as a symbol of wisdom because the snake had to be wise in order to survive. Um, and so a typical New Testament way, a typical amazing thing that Jesus and, and the New Testament writers did was the use of paradox. And if, once you start seeing it, it's everywhere in the New Testament. So paradox is... You know, something that immediately when it's stated, you think, that's crazy. But then the more you think about it, you realize, oh, that actually makes sense. And this is a perfect example of a paradox. Because at the same time, the disciples are told to be as innocent as a dove. And that literally translates out to be completely guileless. <laughs> so on one hand, be full of cunningness. And on one hand, be absolutely innocent. So one commentator said that the idea is that the dove is completely void of any bad motives, totally harmless. So in this interesting advice, Jesus tells his disciples to be full of guile and guileless, to know when to be cunning and shrewd, and to, but to balance that out with the commitment to be totally harmless in the efforts of being shrewd and cunning. For the disciples, this looked like knowing when to avoid overly hostile environments and being wise enough to mix in with people from all backgrounds and all walks of life in order to share the good news, but to do so with this harmless, sincere spirit. So what in the world could this look like today? A humble leader. Right, when you have, when, and if you've ever been around someone like this, you could probably bring them up in your mind right now. Like someone who's a leader, who doesn't mind to make hard decisions. Someone who doesn't mind to step out and boldly lead when needed. 
but is also a picture of humility, selflessness, giving of him or herself, uh, lowering herself below other people. But when the time comes, has no problem to step up and make the hard decision. Someone with a thick skin and a soft heart. So if you're thinking, you probably think of some people like this. One of these two things probably come more naturally for you. So I would tend to be more of the innocent side, the sheep side. Uh, and re recently, our organization, our board, we had to make some shrewd decisions. And I hated it, but it had to be done. I had to balance out my tendency to be more like a dove and incorporate some cunning, shrewd decisions. So take some inventory in your own heart. Because I think this is still such powerful advice. And I'll come back to that in just a few minutes at the close. So one of my favorite things about my job is that I constantly receive good news. And so I've determined that this year, um, everywhere I go preach, I'm going to be the good news guy. Um, so I, I need to start my own channel, maybe the good news channel or something like that. Or I'm sure that's already out there somewhere. But I constantly, every week, the most beautiful thing, I get to hear really hard things, but I get to hear such beautiful, good things. And I'm so inspired by global leaders. And so many of them are vividly demonstrating this balance of shrewdness and innocence. So in Egypt, some of you, I don't know if you follow the global Anglican church. Everywhere I go, there's like one global Anglican church nerd that, that knows everything that's happening. Uh, so if that's you, I know you're going to come talk to me after service anyway. So I look forward to talking to you. But, you know, the church in Egypt had a really hard time because the government was trying to take their buildings. And we've all in America been through that, right? Well, those of you who've been around long enough in the Anglican Church of North America, but the church in Egypt was trying to take the Anglican buildings over some laws that weren't being interpreted correctly. And so Archbishop Sammy, who's on our global council, awesome, humble guy. Like, if he's so humble. Um, but he had to go through a very shrewd process of interacting with the government and through the process was able to win the court argument and the Anglican church is getting to keep some amazing properties in Egypt. And just to watch him walk through that, and he's building now, well, Archbishop Munir, if you know, was the previous archbishop, and now it's Sammy. And Munir's vision was that the Anglican church there would provide education, and, and, um, education for children who weren't being educated properly. So he had a huge vision for a school for the deaf and a school for the blind. And now Archbishop ARDF partnered with him to add a wing to his building that'll be specifically for, for families of children with, spe with special needs. And so we can't lose that property, right? It's too important for the kingdom to lose it. And to watch Sammy navigate and have to go through this process of stepping outside of his innocent, timid behavior and leading in a really powerful way. But that combination won and brought resolution. And now all of these things are working together. In northern Kenya, uh, if any of you know uh, Bishop Kampicha, he's up in the really difficult part of Kenya, northern Kenya. And um, this is a part of Kenya that experiences deep famine. They went five years with almost no rain. So bad that even the camels were dying. Um, and I got to the point where they were losing human life because of such hard uh, drought, famine. And 
they're, they're pastoralists, so they move, but everywhere they move, there was no rain. It's just a terrible situation. They also experienced really deep inner tribal conflict. And there were killings. It was a very unsafe part of the country. And uh, Bishop Campicha got invited to speak to, uh, on national TV. And uh, I have the video clip. I have to send it to you, and you can share it with your church. Um, and when he went to speak on public national TV, he called out the Kenyan government in a very awesome way. It's a beautifully well-done way, but just said, look, while you're trying to grow Nairobi and these important parts of Kenya, we are dying and you won't help, and we're starving and you won't help, and we need you. Well, he gets off there. He's scared. He doesn't know what's going to happen. The next week, his phone rings, and they, the government official for his area says that they decided they're sending military help, and they're sending food help, and they're bringing things. And this is totally outside of, if you know Kempicha, uh, he's just the most gentle, humble leader. But he knew in that moment he had to have this balance to say, I'm going to be shrewd and cunning, and I'm going to do what I need to do. And now uh, he, he's, he is uh, leading the peace initiative for his part of Marsabit in northern Kenya to bring peace between all the tribes. There hasn't been a murder in like a year and a half uh, because of his advocacy. And that only can be done with what, this is what Jesus was talking about, right? This is the balance, and it's so beautiful to see it being played out here. And so we're helping Bishop Campicha build uh, some amazing boys' high school and then soon girls' high school. Um, and he has an elementary school already. So there'll be kindergarten through 12th quality education being provided in an area of northern Kenya where there's very little quality education. I'm not going to get through this whole list. But uh, I just came back from Burundi. And uh, Burundi's the poorest country in the world. And there's a bishop there, Bishop Seth. Um, is another one that you may know. And so Bishop Seth walks us around his compound, his diocesan um, headquarters. And they have a, a school there. And the school is probably built for, I mean, don't hold me to this, but if I were just guessing, it's probably built for about 300 students. They have 612 students because kids coming from all over. And it's like just a sea of kids. And he's doing the best he can to provide education. And so one of the things that he did while we were there is he created this whole media circus, basically. But try, he's trying to get, he doesn't have any government support. And other schools that aren't Christian are getting government support. So he, he creates this awesome media frenzy. And all of a sudden, the government officials are thinking, well, we can't not support him. Look at all this. Look at this investment. Look at these good things that are happening. And it was this really cool, shrewd move on his part uh, while we were there. And uh, he showed us his, his maternity. He has a, a health clinic on the diocesan property. And um, the doctors, uh, beautiful, amazing doctors, smiling ear to ear, just so compassionate. They're praying for every person and they're doing the best they can. My infant mortality rate has dropped significantly because of this clinic. But the maternity ward is prop, it's probably about the same size as this stage. There's 10 beds, usually two women per bed giving birth. And there they don't have nurses. So family members come and are the nurses. So when we were there, there were, I think, 16 women in this room, each of them with two or three people with them just shoved in this room. Twins were born while we were there. It was amazing. And 
I can't explain it. Like, there's part of me that's, that's panicking, right? Because what is happening? There's so many people. It's so chaotic. And then you just, in the midst of it, you see these doctors with huge smiles on their face and so compassionately caring and delivering these babies and taking good care of them. And we walk out and they just are so happy that they're there. And I would be stressed and overwhelmed. And it's just this combination, right? That it's hard to explain until you see it like that. Of They are tenacious, shrewd, cunning, have to figure out how to get by with very little. But man, they somehow maintain this joy and peace and innocence that's just unexplainable. Oh man, I could do this all day long. Um, I won't. I'm sorry, I won't. But um, let's see, which one do I want to pick? Um, and then the last thing I'll say is we're, we, we did some disaster relief along the border, Mexico-Texas border, uh, with a church there. And, you know, it's just a mess there. We, we, we are all compassionate to the problem. What do we do about this border? And it's a big content. Don't worry. I'm not going to go into politics. Big contentious thing. I don't have any idea what the solution is. But I know that we've got a church, sweet little church there on the border. And, man, they're doing everything they can to be shrewd and loving, to, to, to do what they have to do, to be in politics enough, because you can't do that ministry and not be involved in some sort of political conversation, but to try to keep that out of it and just be innocent, loving, accepting, helping people that are, they're there. Like the, the, whether you want them there or not, they're there. And their church is trying to figure out what do we do in this situation where there's just so many people coming across the border and we don't know what to do. We don't know. I mean, it's such a hard situation to be in because they, they don't even know. They don't know who's there legal and who's there illegal. They don't know any of these things. So it's just a complicated process, but they're trying to be faithfully present. And it's this combination of shrewdness and innocence. that's so inspiring. So. There's good stuff happening all over the world. And it's just amazing that we all, like all of you, are a part of this. And, and you might not feel it, you know, because you, you give your tithes and offerings. And, and unfortunately, Kevin and Karen can't every week stand up and tell you what's happening at ARDF. But just know that part of what you are doing is supporting just some beautiful things that are happening every single day globally and we have a very impressive roster of church leaders who are demonstrating shrewdness and innocence, snake and dove, and they're making it through like sheep among wolves. And I see it so vividly. So in our divided culture right now, I think this balance is, is needed more than ever. We can't be all shrewd with no innocence. We can't be all snake and no dove. We also can't be all innocence and no shrewdness. We can't be all dove and no snake. And it's a balance that we need to understand. And there's this middle way, this middle ground that we can stand on. Where we don't have to cave to every cultural pressure. But we also don't have to grow hard-hearted toward everyone who doesn't think just like us. So church, may you be wise and discerning. Individual, may you be a person who somehow finds this balance in your life. May you be a group of people who embody the very presence of the loving, innocent, but powerful Jesus right here in your own neighborhood, in your own church, in your own family, and through partners like us around the world.
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Yes. All right, Savior, let's, let's pray for uh, Father Jake. If you all would just stretch out your hands, if you would. Uh, Father, thank you for sending Jake to encourage us with word of, around the world of what you're doing. Thank you that we get to be a small part of it. Now bless him with wisdom beyond his own, with that great combination he just told us about. Fill him with your Holy Spirit and send him to do your work in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.